Welcome to a Revival House Sermon, where we champion you to become the unveiling of Jesus to this world. And essentially, if I were to break down Ephesians for you in three letters or three words of of the progress of what Ephesians is, is that it would be sit, walk, and stand. Those three things. Is that we sit because we're seated with Christ, and we walk as transformed people, and then we stand fully equipped to face dark powers. And that's what Ephesians really is about. And when you you see that and you begin... You realize that we don't begin standing or running, but we begin from the position of sitting with Jesus. Is that when we find where where we're seated, what our position is, and what we own, then we can come to the place of walking it out. And when we can do that, then we can stand against all adversity. And so... I'm really actually very excited to get into Ephesians because it's so spiritually rich and it and it blesses you and probably it may be some of your favorite books Uh, out of all the books out there Ephesians is a favorite of many people and for good reason because it's so encouraging because it's so life-giving and so what I want to talk about for a little bit is actually to kind of give us some background of Ephesians now, some of you people may just like to hop right into something and go to town, but me, the teacher in me wants to know all the background stuff because that gives me better context. And if that's not your way, tough luck, I've got the microphone. <laughs> so you're just going to have to suffer through it. <laughs> but so Ephesians was written by Paul. Everybody basically agrees that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. It wasn't until in recent years some people have uh, questioned that, but there's really just so much that Paul did write Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians was written by Paul in prison. Paul wrote 14 books in the New Testament, and four of those were written while he was in prison in Rome. Which is astounding when you read the book and you think about where he was at. This man is locked up in prison, and he is going to write the most hope-filled, joy-filled, victorious-driven books out of maybe all of the letters that he wrote in prison. I don't know about you, but if I were in prison, I'd probably write the book of Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Whoa, woe is me. (laughs) I would probably be like, what is the meaning of life? Paul's like, yeah, it's awesome. You're going to live in victory. You're going to go, you're seated with Christ. Why? Because when you stand from the perspective of heaven, the world and what we experience is totally different. Because heaven is not a place. We learned this in Revelation. It's not billions of miles away somewhere in this galaxy. And when we die, we'll get sucked up there. And there you are. But in reality, it's the realm of where God lives. It is the heavenly realm. Paul even calls it the heavenly realm in Ephesians. It is a dimension, you might say, 
of where because of the blood of Jesus, we step into that dimension and it's where the kingdom of God is and it is heaven because God is, fills that place. And you see, when you step into the heavens and when you step into the realm of the kingdom and you stand from that perspective and you look at that lens, it will always give you hope. It will always inspire joy and it will always impart peace. And so, therefore, Paul is standing in his heavenly position and he's looking at himself chained and imprisoned and he's going, I am more than a conqueror. I am seated in heavenly places. I am the bride of Christ and Jesus is my beloved because he is living in a realm and he is seated in that place. It says that we are seated in heavenly places right now. But in reality, you're saying, well, I'm seated in, the, in a church in Turkey, Texas. But you are also seated in heavenly places. And so Paul is saying, I am going to live out the realm of the spirit that I'm seated in, not in my, the, my fleshly place. That's where I'm going to live my life through. And so Ephesians was written in prison. And I, that blows my mind. When I, when I read Ephesians, I go, my Lord, this guy is crazy. This is just wild. I would not be that happy. So that means I need to grow up a little bit in the Lord, huh? Yeah. Need to stop complaining. So Paul wrote Ephesians in prison. And this is what's interesting. Let's talk a few details that are, I thought were interesting is that Ephesians, it says all to you who are in Ephesus or the Ephesians, in the earliest manuscripts of the book or the letter of Ephesians, Ephesus and Ephesians is never mentioned. It was later added to in the margins to those in Ephesus. But the earliest Greek manuscripts that we have doesn't mention the Ephesians. It's kind of strange, actually. But it was later, uh, none of the letters actually were, uh, none of the letters had titles like they do now. Later on, they said, okay, well, he sent these to the Romans, he sent these to the Corinthians, so we're going to title the book this. Well, Ephesians didn't even say, oh, you know, because in Romans, Paul goes, hey, to all those who are in Rome, and he welcomes everybody and says hello and all this stuff. But in Ephesians, he doesn't do that. It actually doesn't say anywhere in there. What's interesting is, now I'm going to throw this out there just so that you can know this, that it's a, something that it could be, but we don't really know, is that some people believe that this is actually not to the Ephesians, because it was never in the early manuscripts, but it's actually the lost letter to the Laodiceans. Did you know that? In Colossians 4.16... Paul tells the Colossians, when you get this letter, distribute it to all the churches, and also read the letter I sent to the Laodiceans. We don't have a letter to the Laodiceans. Essentially, it's lost. But some people have said, well, because Ephesians isn't titled, and that was later added in the margins, what if this is the lost book to the Laodiceans? We don't really know. But, so that's a little fun fact. For our sake, we're going to treat it as to the Ephesians and to the church in Ephesus. Uh, uh, later on, they added it in the margins. Maybe they're right. 
We don't know for sure. It does line up to some of the things the, uh, the church in Ephesus is mentioned in Revelation, and they were told that they had false teachers in their midst and that they needed to come back to their first love. And so we, we'll see in uh, Ephesians how that kind of plays out. So for our purpose, we're going to treat it as that. Uh, what's interesting is this book is written in almost an impersonal way. You see, this is Paul we're talking about. Paul took a whole chapter in the book of Romans to say hello to everybody, to mention their names, and all this stuff. In Ephesians, he doesn't do any of that. Oh, he take his vacuum away. So, it's kind of interesting. The way Ephesians works is that it's almost impersonal, but it's, I, some people have noted that it's almost poetic in its writing is that it has a poetic way of doing it instead of mentioning lots of people is that Paul meant it to be copied to every church everywhere and that he wanted everybody to hear these truths he wasn't just sending this to one church so that's different from the rest of the books that uh, Paul wrote I'm going to read you a few things that's interesting. The language of Ephesians is different than almost all the stuff that Paul wrote. is really interesting. Uh, there are 41 words in the Greek text that are only found in the book of Ephesians. So all of the New Testament books, 41 words that Paul used only in Ephesians. Unique to what he was trying to describe here. A total of 15 unique words, word combinations, or phrases are found here. For example, five times Paul uses the phrase, in the heavenly realm. And only in Ephesians does Paul call Jesus the beloved one. The language is rich, profound, and deeply spiritual. Some have seen the language and style of Ephesians similar to a prayer. Indeed, Paul's apostolic prayer life comes through as you read the book of Ephesians. The words in him or in Christ are found 75 times in this book. It is an unmistakable truth that our position as believers is no longer in sin but in Christ. And then lastly, the Greek sentence length is crazy. We've got eight sentences in the book total and they sometimes stretch from 6 to 12 verses this is what's crazy we're talking 6 to 12 verses whole pages where there's no periods there's, 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 it doesn't stop and it's very strange if I wrote a, a sentence like that you'd be like dude that's a paragraph not a sentence but Paul it's almost as if when we begin to read it, you get to verse 2, and from verse 2 to 14, it's one sentence. Now, they've had to put some sentences in there so it makes sense, but it's almost as if Paul goes, hey, you know, hi, how you doing? It's me, Paul. And then he just goes, I just got to tell you all this stuff. And he just, it's like a tidal wave, a gusher of all of the amazing truths of God's word just starts pouring out of Paul. And, it, and he never, and it, so it's almost like an 
you know, a kid when they come up to you and they try to tell you a story and it's just and they're like, and you're like, pause. What is this story going? It's almost like that. That when Paul begins to just speak to them, he just go, it's just like a gusher and he just can't stop because he's saying, dude, you're seated in heavenly places and he it was his divine plan that he did this and it was all purpose and all this stuff and you're predestined and you're just going, oh my gosh, and he just doesn't even stop to take a breath. It's amazing. The book is very interesting in that way. Um, and it's also fascinating is that Colossians and Ephesians are paralleled in a lot of ways. 26% of the Ephesians is paralleled with Colossians. And uh, 34% of the shorter Colossians is paralleled with Ephesians. And Colossians and Ephesians were both written in prison. And it's a lot of people see the parallels between the two of how they relate to each other. And it's very interesting considering vocabulary and use of certain words between them. Um, and so there's, the, there's some... The, the theological emphasis is grace in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the church, the mystery of God's plan, the fivefold ministries, love, and spiritual warfare. And as I said, you really could break it down into sit, walk, and stand. I want to briefly, the last little bit I want to take you through here is a little bit of the setting of Ephesus and the Ephesians of who he was speaking to because it is actually quite fascinating and I'm going to read some of this here. The city of Ephesus was located on the west coast of Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, about four miles inland from the sea. The temple of the goddess Artemis, or Diana, was located just outside of Ephesus and was estimated to be the largest building in the world of that day, larger than an American football field. This opulent temple was one of the seven wonders of the old world and took 220 years to build. The cult of the Artemis was widespread and possibly the most prominent when Paul penned his letter to the Ephesians. A number of statues of Artemis have been excavated in Ephesus. One had the inscription which read, The goddess Artemis rules our city. Talk about trying to deal with some spiritual problems. We're sitting here trying to deal with some stuff, and they got some bad, bad juju going on. Anyways, the earliest uh, depictions of Artemis have, have her holding a bow and arrow with a crescent on her forehead. Ephesus was also a city steeped in magic and occultism. Metzger writes, of all ancient Greco-Roman cities, Ephesus, the third largest in the Roman Empire, was by far the most hospitable to magicians, sorcerers, and charlatans, and all sorts. It is no wonder Paul writes to the Ephesians, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Politically, it was the capital of the province of Asia, and it had a strong voice um, in the uh, Roman Empire. It was it was the town clerk of Ephesus that quieted the riotous crowd that was intent on demonstrating their loyalty to Artemis. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, while in Ephesus, John wrote his three epistles in Ephesus, and many believe he was buried there. 
Acts 19 is when the whole crowd is going to go and, and kill Paul uh, because uh, the, many of the magicians were turning from their ways and they were mad at him at the gods and so they were going to stone him and kill him and that's when he actually had to flee. But it was the, the town clerk that quieted them. If you remember that, that was in Ephesus. And uh, there's a lot of things that I don't really want to read. <laughs> and it was, a, Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. His first journey, he only spent a short time, but then later he spent about three years there. And what I will say is, Ephesus, Paul first came through and spent a short time, and then he came back through on his third journey, and he spent maybe two to three years there. And it says that's when he would go into, he first started going into the uh, synagogues and debating there, and then no longer he was allowed there, and so he would actually go into the uh, debating temples, and he would uh, speak. And he led so many, it said that he led so many Jews and so many people to Christ by the miracles by his hands that a revival actually really broke out in Ephesus. And that is when the whole big problem in Acts comes up is that so many magicians were turning from their ways and Artemis was losing her power over the city that that great riot happened and they were going to kill him. And it's probably why he had to leave sooner and run from the city because they were going to kill him. But essentially, Paul had a huge impact there and there was an incredible outpouring of God's spirit. And, and we kind of see why a lot of times there was so much so much magic and so much uh, uh, sorcery and all these things that a lot of times God really shows up in the supernatural way when dealing with those kind of people. And we see that in that. And so that is essentially the background of, the Ephes- uh, of Ephesus and Ephesians. So I'm going to read a little bit to you. We're going to start in Ephesians 1. And we'll go until you're all asleep. (laughs) Well, I see the last person pass out, then I'll stop. (laughs) It's the eternal word of God. Right? So, let me read. Dear friends, I'm reading actually out of the Passion Translation this time. Yours will probably say to the Ephesians, but because that is not the earliest text, he actually takes that out. He says... Dear friends, my name is Paul, and I was chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus, the Holy Messiah. I'm writing this letter to all the devoted believers who have been made holy by being one with Jesus, the Anointed One. May God himself, the Heavenly Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being into your lives. Let me just pause there. Let's just take a moment in there. What's funny is, in, in the Greek culture that Paul was uh, probably in in that time, the way you would greet someone is you would tell them, grace. If you would walk to them, you'd be like, oh, grace to you. And then in a Jewish Hebrew culture, you would say shalom, right? Which is shalom means peace, but it's way more than peace. It's, it's healing, it's life, it's total well-being, it's, it's everything. And so what's funny is he, when he's writing this, he begins his letter and he goes, grace to you and shalom to you. Is that he does both of them. Essentially, he's already putting it out there that he's going, I'm bridging the gap between Jew and Gentile 
even in his greetings, is that he is saying, there's both coming to you right now. And, uh, and then he greets them as an apostle. Let's just move on. There's a, there's just, there's a lot we could get into. But in verse 3 it says, and, and so he, he says two verses. Hey, my name's Paul. How you guys doing? And then he just jumps right into it. And he instantly, this is from right there to verse 14 in the Greek is one sentence. But, and so in verse 3 he says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because He sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate Him with all of our hearts. And He chose us to be His very own, joining us to Himself even before He laid the foundation of the universe. Because of His great love, He ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with unstained innocence. You could take those verses, print them off, and put them on your refrigerator, and it'd be awesome, right? The, the, all of Ephesians, almost, you could just take it and just run with it. But from the very beginning... What is he trying to do? He's saying every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon you. Everything, everything in God's realm is yours, yours for the taking. And he says, and he chose you before the, he chose us to be his very own, joining to ourselves, even before he laid the foundations of the universe. He chose you. So right in the very beginning, right out the gate, Paul goes, and essentially what you could say Ephesians is this, is that Ephesians is your position in Christ. And we'll see that all the way through here. But here's the deal. As we see our position, our position may not always match our, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? I'm looking for a certain word. basically the way you live your life <laughs> our position in our actual uh, I had it it's gone now my brain is but you know what I'm trying to say basically is that this what he is trying to say is this is who you are this is who God destined you to be and this is actually what has been given to you right now but that doesn't always mean it matches the way that you live the way you think and the way that you act and so the goal, and we even see that later in Ephesians, where he's saying you need to sit with Christ, realize who you really are, realize what's been given to you, and then you have to walk it out. Your position has to match and actually has to take over. It's basically your, your, your position and your, uh, your actions. There's a, there's a certain particular word I'm looking for, and it's gone. You know, do you like that when that happens? It always happens to me at the right time. <laughs> but, and that's what Paul is saying, is that he's getting us to understand our position so that our lives will match it. 
It's kind of like this. I heard, a, I heard this story from a preacher that he was, he was telling a story of back in the 1800s, a young boy was uh, traveling across from England to America on a boat. And his, his grandma s- sent him with a small bag of what they call fish and chips. And it, that had to last him his whole time. They didn't have enough money they thought they paid for his for the boat to go but they didn't have enough to send lots of food with him so she gave him this bag of food and the whole time day after day he saw these people going into the dining hall and they were you know they got to eat their lunch he thought oh man i wish i could be you know i wish i had enough money to pay for the first class so i could go there and eat and so he ate and he slowly divvied off just little bits each day trying to eat and one day he was sitting out on the deck eating his food and the the captain walked by and said, why, why are you eating this food by yourself? He goes, oh, well, I can't afford you know, to go in there and, and, uh, and buy that food and stuff. And he goes, the food's already paid for. He said, the food is part of your trip. It's already been bought. You, you're, you're just like everyone else. You can go in there and eat. And a lot of times that's the way it is in the kingdom of God is that God's already paid for it. God's already seated you there. God's already given you these things. And a lot of times, we don't live in them and we don't walk in them because we don't think that it's been paid for. But it's actually all been made ready for us to take. Essentially, the check's been written and it's been given to you and now it's your job to cash it in. And that is what Paul is saying. He says, this is your position. This is what's been bought for you. So every, read it very slowly, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon you. Because essentially, your wonderful heavenly father loves you and he paid for it. every spiritual blessing. I don't even fully comprehend that. I read it and I go, that's awesome. Put that on the refrigerator, you know, but what? What does that even mean? How does that even look? How do we walk that out? I don't fully know, but I know that we have the ability to. And I've seen, it's kind of like, you know, David lived out of a covenant that had not been set in place yet. But in faith, he stepped in and said, I know that there's going to come a time that I can stand before the presence of God and I can worship him and I can be free from my sin. So I'm going to live in that now. David learned that out of intimacy with God. That revelation only comes through intimacy. But now we are being invited that all of the things that you think you have to wait for in heaven, they've already been given to you now. And that you can step into it in faith right now. It's been allotted to you. And so if you can think it or dream it, you can do it in God. I'm, I'm reminded of, there's a really cool book. It's called uh, uh, Ladies of the Golden Lampstand or Women of the Golden Lampstand. It's a really fascinating book. 
It's in the early 1900s in California. This group of ladies started meeting in a basement and praying. And during their times, they experienced the most incredible supernatural occurrences that just blow your mind. And the book was written by a gentleman that was a, a young man during their period of time, kind of near the later part of their lives, that actually they invited him that, hey, you can come pray with us, and he experienced these things. And I mean, I'm talking in a small little house in the mountains of California, they were praying, and God starts taking them to different places in the world. And they would walk in different places in the world and in the streets, and they would lead people to Jesus, and then they would come back into the prayer meeting. It was a common occurrence for angels to walk in and tell them what to pray about. They, they sometimes two or three would go, sometimes all of them would go. Angels would come in and tell them how to pray and what to do. Other times they would just have heavenly encounters. And this is what shocked me, is that they said they'd have about 20 people a lot of times. And they said they would be praying and all of them, not just a few would have a few experiences, but all of them as a group would go in to the heavenly realm and they would all collectively see the same things and experience the same stuff. A lot of times they said a door would open on one side of the room and they would walk through it and they would see angels and they would, and there were times that they saw Jesus. During World War I, they would go, they would be transported in the spirit and they would see battle and they would see people and situations and they would come back and they would pray for that war or that battle during that period of time. They also, a little small group of 15 to 20 women, sponsored over 100 missionaries. How did they do that? I'm not, I'm just, I'm just telling you what the book said. Angels would come into the room and would drop off bags of money. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. This little group, and they have records, they kept records of all of it. They sponsored over 100 missionaries. And like three or four orphanages. And or, yeah, I, I couldn't, they had orphanages. They had, and they can trace them back to this small group of women. All of this just because of their prayers. And I say that. Because you, 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 you hear that and you go, oh, how's that? Oh, my brain hurts, right? But they tapped into something that I believe God wanted us to have. And they tapped into that by faith. They're not some special anointed people. They're people that believed that God had this for them. They believed the word. And, and we see that Paul says, man, you're seated in heavenly realms. Guess what? You're seated in heavenly realms. And you're called to go there. You're called to go to the, the crystal sea of glass before the throne of God and actually commune there. I've, uh, since we're on the rabbit trail, Brian Simmons has had a really cool vision that he said, I saw whole churches in worship services all go into the throne room of God. Just like, and, and he was telling stories that what he saw God doing, and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know if this guy knows about the women of the lampstand realm. I read that book years ago, and I hear what he's saying, and he's saying the exact same thing they experienced. And so I believe 
So basically, what am I saying? Every spiritual blessing has been given to you. A lot of times, it is our unbelief that keeps us from it. It honestly is. Jesus said, this kind of unbelief only comes out with prayer and fasting. So, meditate on that for the rest of your life. (laughs) I want to read you verse 4. It says, He, Jesus, chose us to be His very own, joining us to Himself even before He laid the foundation of the universe. This is what's cool. I want to tell you something about He chose us to be His very own. There, let's see if I can read it here. There is an alternate Greek translation. So that verse right there is translated from the Aramaic, right? A lot of the Passion translation is that they take the Aramaic texts and they translate it. But there is an alternate Greek translation of that verse that says, um, it's very unique. It says, he chose us to be a word before the fall of the world. The Greek word for chose is eklo... eh, Let's see, I I had this down. Ekloglamai. The Greek word chose is ekloglamai, which is a form of legos, which means to speak. So instead of saying he chose, it's actually saying he spoke a word. And the word for fall or Adam's fall is katabolis, uh, which can mean falling down, but is usually translated as foundation. So take it or leave it, but it's really interesting that that could act in the Greek text can say he chose us to be a word before the fall of Adam. So it's saying he chose us before the foundation of the world. He, or it could mean he chose you to be a word to this world even before Adam fell. It's almost as if, you know that it says the word became flesh and dwelt among men, right? That same that word, Logos word, became flesh and dwelt among men. It's almost as if the word is becoming flesh again. That before Adam even fell, he knew, I'm going to make these people to be a representation of the word to the world. They are going to be a word to the world. It says that, you know, you are... As Jesus is in heaven, so you are to this world. That means you are to manifest Jesus everywhere you go to this world. When the world looks at you, they're supposed to see Jesus because you are actually unveiling him to this world. And this verse is saying, before even Adam fell, I meant for you to be a manifestation of the word. If it's that... Or if it's he chose us before the foundation of the universe, they're both really cool. (laughs) So, and it says, because of his great love, he ordained us, or predestined, or whatever it is, 
so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with unstained innocence. Whoops. It says, let's, five and six, it says, for it was his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this is his unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Just, there's so much there. Essentially, you know, in verse 4 it says that he has ordained us. And then it, it says in 5, for it was always his perfect plan to adopt us. So, a lot of people, it's ordained or predestined, whatever word you use. A lot of people have taken that and really messed that up, right? Predestination of where they're like, oh, you know, he chose you to be saved beforehand and all this stuff. But some of the best ways that I've heard it described is this, is that God cast a vote for you, the devil cast a vote for you, and you choose which way you're going. Or in another way, here's a picture. That there's a door before you, right? There's a door before you, and you can enter in, and you hope you decide to open that door, and you walk in, and when you close the door, on the other side, it says, ordained before the foundation of the world. So you chose to step through that door, but it was in his plan for you to always be with him before the foundation of the world. It's not some chose and some wasn't. It's that God has always wanted you. The devil's always wanted you. They're both sitting there waiting for you to step through one of the doors. But it was always in his plan to have you. And... And it says, for it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his children. Always in his plan. There was never a moment that he went, man, I don't really know what I'm going to do with these people now. But he said, it's always in your perfect plan to adopt you. Here's also something funny that I learned that I uh, didn't know. The word adopt. Now, there's, there's lots of, like in the Hebrew context is when you adopt somebody, you can never disown them, Right? But then in the Greek culture of that day, that word adopt doesn't mean the word adopt that we understand in English. In that culture of that day, what's interesting is a lot of times adopt means to be a, uh, a fully mature son. And so in the Greek understanding of the culture of that day, Paul would be saying, it was always in his plan to bring you into the family and make you a mature son. It was always in his plan to mature you into your destiny. It was always in his plan. And we talk about, and it gets crazy later of all the things that are listed. But it was always in God's plan to have a destiny for you to grow into your full purpose. And we'll see later when it actually talks about sin that a lot of time, here's a definition of sin that you've never maybe heard before, is that sin 
is anything that keeps you from your destiny. And we'll get into that in verses later. But that He had a plan to mature you into the fullness that Jesus wants. And that your destiny has already planned out. It's already been predestined. It's already been ordained before Adam fell, before the foundation of the world. He had a plan for you way before. And that is your destiny. And anything that gets in the way of that destiny, he wants you to get rid of. Anything that gets in that way of that destiny, that's sin. Anything, because he has an incredible plan for you. He has an incredible life for you. He has, a, he has called you for that purpose. And that's what he's trying to tell us. Well, I really could keep you forever. But I don't want to bore you the first night. I'll save that for another time. <laughs> but I want to just, I want you to get these first things. You see that Paul was saying right off the bat, he's like, I got no time to waste. I want everybody to know this. That everything in the spiritual realm, it's been given to you. So the question is, how do you step into it? And each one of us is on a different journey and each one of us is a different place. But if it's already, like so much of the church is trying to earn their way into God's kingdom when they don't realize that it's already been given, we're already loved more. You can't be more loved tomorrow than you were today. If today is the lowest day in your life, you're still loved more than on your best day. You are ultimately loved. It's been paid for. He's not looking at you. Didn't you see it said that he ordained us so that we could be seen as holy in his eyes, unstained innocence. We read later that we're wrapped in Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. I heard somebody make the statement, I thought it was quite funny, is that if he lined up Jesus and us before him, he'd go, okay, which one is Jesus? You all look the same. <laughs> is that he doesn't see you and go, oh man, they just, they've messed up so much, and I'm so glad you paid for that, Jesus. No. Is that when it says that he, he, didn't, he didn't cover our sins anymore, he removed them. There's a big difference. He's not covering things up. He's removing them as far as the east is from the west. And so the question is, if every spiritual blessing has been given to you, and Jesus is wrapped around you, do you know Gideon in the Old Testament? It says that the Holy Spirit put on Gideon like a glove. The Hebrew wording of that says that the Holy Spirit put Gideon on like a glove. And you are the same way. That God has put you on like a glove and He only sees Jesus and everything has been given to you and you're not trying to earn it. You're just, your life now has to match your standing. And that is the question. And that's not trying to be good enough. That's because you are good enough and you get to walk in it now by faith. Before the foundation of the world, he already planned this out. 
And you can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. What amazes me is this. Paul didn't have the New Testament. You know? He didn't have all these letters because he wrote half of them. <laughs> he didn't have... Uh, he didn't have the Gospels. He probably heard the stories from the Apostles. But he didn't have all this. He had the Old Testament. And even the Apostles were amazed at Paul. They said, he knows Jesus like he's been with him. And yet, we know he hasn't. And they were shocked by Paul. And they're like, you know Jesus better than we do. And we were there in the flesh with him. Paul was stepping into his heavenly realm and understanding his position in Christ and was realizing these things in Revelation and going, I've got to write this down and I've got to send this to everybody because they're in the same place. That's amazing to me. And what one thing is that Paul did have is he had the book, he had Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. It's named both ways. And people, uh, in, interpreters and translators have noted that it looks as though Paul was heavily influenced by the book, Song of Songs. Because during their day, the Shulamite bride and the king in the early church was understood that the king was Jesus and we are the Shulamite bride. And in there it says, come, and it, this is what's so fun, it says, come, my beloved, to the high mountain where I've already set you. And Paul then goes and says, you are seated in the heavenly realms. Because he understood in that loving place that Jesus already set us there. And he's inviting us to come into our standing, to come into our position. But our first thing is that we must sit with Jesus and find out who we are and what we are called. You can ask all day who you are, but a big question is going to be, where are you seated? What is your authority? That's enough for one night. I want to just pray over you guys, because it's all a battle all the unbelief inside you wants to go, this can't be true. All of the doubts want to go, I don't see it. I've never seen it. But all of the word is crying out to you, man, step in and believe it. Because that is your standing and that's your calling. And so stop trying to earn it and let God love you into the place of victory. You're not trying to get victory. God wants victory for you way more than you do. So if you'll allow him to step into your life, he will bring you into that place. So let me just pray for you and then we'll worship a little bit after it and then we'll be done. How's that sound? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Oh, I love your word that it brings us into freedom, that it brings us into life, and that it calls us into our destiny. God, just as with Revelation, you showed us that you have 
a glorious plan and a joy-filled purpose for this world. And that we are called to step into our standing, to sit with you, to stand in this truth, and to walk it out. And I just pray right now that every person here, that this word would go into them and it would become who they are. That you would make this real to us. God, just as Paul prays, he prays for the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. We agree with that. And I say, God, give us the spirit of wisdom to walk this out. Give us the spirit of wisdom as we go through our days and our life so that we can be wise with the perspective of heaven. And give us the spirit of revelation that we would see this word and we would see the world around us through enlightened eyes. God, put this in our hearts. God, I know that we've been empowered to live this out. Now teach us how. I just bless everyone here that they would just walk in the joy of the Lord. The Lord wants to birth joy inside of us and give us hope.